Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is Dave Stovall, your host. And today we are diving into Navigators Church Ministries track sessions from last year's forum. We've got Jason Gravett, and he's talking to us about foundation building and how it is step number one in your church's disciple making process. Churches that make disciples without building that foundation are depending on an upside down pyramid to stand firm. That whole fire aim ready approach results at best in short term impact followed by long term grasping at straws. To create a disciple making culture in your church, laying a foundation is essential. Today's episode kicks off an entire track that will help you learn how to practically build a disciple-making foundation at your church. Let's listen to Justin Gravett from Navigators and let him encourage us today. Enjoy the episode. Welcome. We're going to go ahead and get started. My name is Justin Gravett. I'm going to be leading this workshop for you today. Uh, Excited to see you here. Uh, You're part of the Navigators Church Ministries track. Some of the things that we believe in the Navigators about disciple making is we believe disciple making is intentional and relational and generational. And we really believe that. And that's why this is our sixth year here at the Disciple Making Forum. And every every year we ask discipleship.org if we can have a space with tables and chairs. Because we don't just talk about relationships, we practice them. And our hope is that you guys will not just come to this first track, this first workshop of ours, but you'll be coming back to the second and the third and the fourth, and that you will get to know some of the people that you're sitting around. And we know of relationships that have started here at the forum in our workshops that continue outside of this forum and these workshops. And we hope that that is true for you as well. So with that backdrop, if you are sitting at a table with one person or two people or three people, I want you to get to a table where there's at least four people, okay? So no tables of less than three, less than four, unless we have to. Okay, we want to get to know each other here. So my name, like I said, is Justin Gravett. I come from Dayton, Ohio, and I've been working with the Navigators for 22 years. Been working with Navigators Church Ministries for the past eight years, helping pastors and churches become excellent in disciple-making and building disciple-making cultures. Um, Like I said, this is the first of four workshops that we're presenting. We're presenting four workshops on the core team and what it looks like to build a foundation of a disciple-making culture. Uh, It comes out of an ebook that I did with discipleship.org a couple years ago. Uh, And actually, at the end of the workshop, we're going to give you a coupon for a free book in print of that book, and so make sure you don't leave this area before you get it. Gina will be handing them out um, before we leave. But the other workshops, uh, tomorrow, uh, Pastor Dave Holmes will be presenting on what this process has looked like in his church, building a foundation, some of the the good things and some of the challenges that he had to overcome. After that, our national team lead uh, will be leading a workshop on relationally resilient. Um, And then finally, Gina here, uh, we'll be leading a workshop on relationally, uh, not relationally, re- enduring to the end. Confused myself for a second. Um, all right, so when you guys came in, you guys all got a card. Don't, don't hold it up. Don't show it to your neighbor. Uh, does anybody need one? Okay, there's a couple over there that need one. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game together. This is a competitive game. You need to listen closely. 
Okay, there will be a winner and not the kind of winner that's like, everybody give them a hand. You know, not that kind of winner. A winner where you're actually going to get a prize. Okay, free book for you that's really helpful. One of my favorite resources. And so your goal in this game is to win the game. Okay, do we understand? When the game starts, you can show people your card. You just can't do it yet. Okay, when the game starts, you can show people your card. Your goal is to win. And here's what you need to know to play, okay? You have two minutes. This game will last two minutes and no longer than two minutes. At the end of two minutes, we'll determine a winner. Uh, the game will start as soon as um, this young lady has a seat. Welcome, glad you made Just in time for the game, that's good timing. Okay, so here's the game. Trying to win, you have two minutes to sort yourselves. Go. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Time's up. I've done this game a lot of times. I've never seen it done this way. Okay? We'll see if it went well or not. Uh, the winner of this game, very clear, right? You guys all know who it was. Okay? The winner's back here. I don't know your name, sir. What is your name? Gregory. Gregory, congratulations. Gregory is the winner. Everybody give him a round of applause. Gregory, I need to come back to you because we need to hear your strategy and how you won this game. My strategy? Uh, mostly the green shirt. I'm pretty sure I'm going with green shirt, so that's part of it. Uh, no. Second thing is uh, Ace. I just assumed Ace was the best card on the table. Okay. So, yeah. How did you sort yourself? Uh, we sorted ourselves strategically by not getting up and just putting our cards on the table. And um, it's really complicated, but you know, I told you the truth, I tried to kill you. <laughs> okay, thank you, Gregory. All right, those of you that were losers of this game, how did you sort yourselves? Just shout it out. How'd you do it? In order around the table. In order around the table. What type of order? Numerical. Numerical order? Okay. Do you all have the same suits? Do you all have numbers? Some. Some numbers? Okay. All right. Others, how did you sort yourselves? You paired suits? Yeah, Miriam, I saw you were, were moving around, which is the more normal way to play this game. <laughs> Miriam, tell us about how that went for you. Uh, there were no matches or things that went with it, so I made myself my own group. Okay, great. And did you go around trying to find others? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. But you didn't no. succeed in that. Okay. Others, uh, what were your strategies? This table, how did you sort yourselves? Suits. Suits? And, uh, I think okay. No, you did not win, for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so, so we'll get to why Gregory is a winner in a second. But what happened when I said go? What happened around your tables? How did you get to this strategy? Most of you did table strategies, right? How did you get to that? You what? You talked. You said, let's sit here and just sort ourselves. Okay? Did anyone else besides Miriam have the idea of standing up on your feet and talking with others that weren't at your table? Paul? Russ. Russ. Russ, you did? 
But they didn't go for it, huh? They told you to sit down? <laughs> sit down and stay here. <laughs> I had the thought of doing that, but I wasn't going to be the first one to stand up. Oh, okay. Wasn't going to be the first one. Yep. So this game illustrates what disciple making is like in the local church. Okay? And here's how it illustrates that. Okay, because when we don't have clarity on the goal or the rules, we fall back on games we've played before and hope for the best. And so I didn't give you clarity on the rules of this games. I did give you a clear goal. The goal was to win. Gregor is the only one that reached that goal. The rest of you sat there and sorted by suit or numbers. Or if you didn't have people to sort with, you said, well, I don't know what to do. And Miriam stood up and tried to find others. A great idea. Um, but it didn't work out for her. In discipleship, we often don't have clarity on the goal or the rules. And so what do we do? We fall back on things we've done before and hope for the best. But then something happens. As we're doing that, we see somebody like Gregory around. We say, Gregory just won that game. I need to figure out what he did and how he's winning this game. And then we either talk to Gregory or we read about him or we somehow try to figure out how is he winning this game that I don't fully understand, right? So if I didn't go back there and, and interview Gregory and I said, all right, let's do this again, two more minutes, and we did it a couple iterations, you guys would all be trying to figure out how are these people winning and what does it take for me to win? But if you don't have clarity on the goal or the rules, you're going to fall back to things you've done before and hope for the best. That's what we do in disciple making. That's what churches all over are doing. There are many churches that are here today for different reasons because they're playing different disciple making games. Even though we're all in the same space, even though we're all at the same forum and all of us want to make disciples who make disciples, we all got here in a different way. So the reason that we're here is different. Let me talk with you through some of the most common disciple-making games uh, that churches play. Okay, The first game is a game of survival. Okay, So there are churches here that they have watched their numbers plummet after COVID, and they're not recovering. And some of them are losing ground and losing ground. And what they think is they've heard disciple-making can help with that. Because disciple-making to them sounds like, well, small groups, we can get small groups, we can get people engaged, we can get them activated and moving forward, and there's a whole renewal movement around this for churches. And as, none of these are bad, so my point in this is the motivation, right? So I want you to hear that clearly, that all these five things, I'm not picking on any one of them, but it makes a difference what our motivation is. The problem of um, uh, survival motivation is a problem of priority. Jesus didn't ask us to go and make disciples so that our church would have enough people so that we could keep our job or not lay people off or not lock the doors of that particular individual church. That's not what he asked, right? And so even though it's great to build a church, if that's our primary motivation of entering and engaging in disciple making, it's going to change the way that we do it. Okay, the next game that a lot of churches play is attractional. Attractional disciple-making game. Now, a lot of attractional churches come into disciple-making because even though they're drawing people in, their main problem is typically the back door. 
And so they think, well, if we can figure out disciple making, we can close that back door and begin to grow more sustainably and quickly. And so the problem of that is a problem of scale, right? So disciple making isn't to be entered into as a way to scale up something. That's not Jesus' motivation when he asks us to go and make disciples of all nations. Next, disciple-making game, spiritual leader. So some churches look around and they say, hey, we're doing pretty well right now, but we see down the road we need some younger leaders to be built up, and we're not really building up leaders. We need to figure out disciple-making so we can invest in our younger leaders and begin to get some new leaders on the elder board or just leading in the church. And disciple-making seems to be the way to do that. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about the motivation. The problem of that is a problem of vision. Disciple-making was never meant to be about us and making us better. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and building disciples is a way that we can do that. Which you would think then the next disciple-making game, missional, would be like the winner, right? Oh, that's a good thing because we're going out and reaching the lost. But people that go out and engage in disciple-making as a way to reach the lost typically do it in non-relational ways. They'll go out and just serve, right? I'm going to give out water somewhere. I'm going to do this. But they're not engaging relationally with people. And so it's a problem of love often. They're trying to capture them with service Non-relational love is supposed to bring them. Not always doesn't have to be that way, but typically when those games are played. And then finally, generational. So this is the bias, right, that I have, is that I believe that Jesus called us not just to make disciples, but disciples who make disciples, disciple makers. I know many of you here agree with that, right? And so the process of disciple making is win, build, send. Win them to Christ, build them up, send them out. The motivation with which we enter into disciple-making for ourselves personally and for our churches changes how we do it. And so think about and reflect on why you're here. What is the door that brought you into a disciple-making mindset or conversation? Because again, when we don't have clarity on the goal or the rules, we fall back on things we've played before and hope for the best. So as I've helped pastors over the past eight years, I can quickly tell why they're engaging with me around disciple making. And for a lot of them, it is, well, yeah, our church is really struggling. We really need to figure this out. Say, wait a second. I appreciate that your church is struggling and we do want to help with that. But for God asks us to make disciples, he says he'll build his church. If we can make disciples, your church will take care of itself. So let's start with that mindset. So here's my goal, right? My goal is to make disciples who make disciples, not just keep the doors open of a church, not just to get others to come through the doors, not just to build leaders in the church, or even just to make infant disciples. The goal is to build the kingdom through building generations of disciple makers who have surrendered their lives. Okay, we clear So here is some questions that we don't have time to talk around your table about, but I would encourage you to take, not those questions, I would encourage you to take, um, we're back earlier, probably before the games, maybe, I'm out of order, Um, that you could take some of these questions 
um, and talk about them with your team uh, at the at your church. Okay, here they are. Thank you. How does your church win in disciple making? Go back and ask your staff that. See what comes back at you. What's the ultimate goal here? What rules, quote unquote, does your church have and follow in disciple making? Or what frames the action, the environment for those actions? Here's why I'm doing this track, why our team is doing this track. What we've seen over and over and over again is this process, and maybe it, maybe it resonates with you. What we see is a church gets excited about disciple making. They find a curriculum or a program that they like. They get excited about it. They talk to their staff about it. They start talking about it in front of the church. Hey, we're going to start to do this. We're going to launch you into these groups, and we're going to do this certain curriculum. And then after you do it, you're going to go do it with others. What's wrong with that? Sounds great, right? The problem is, what's wrong with that is it looks really good for a couple years, and it scales pretty fast. And so I've seen churches that, that start maybe a church of 300. By the end of the first year, they have 10 groups doing this. Maybe the groups are three or four people each. At the end of a year, they have 20 groups. And so they double these groups. And so it's just growing like, wow. And the staff feels like, man, we're really making progress here. And then something happens around year or year three or year four, the numbers of groups starts to decline. And they start freaking out. They're like, what's going on? Well, what's going on is they haven't been making disciples of Jesus. They've been making disciples of the curriculum. And so once they have gone through the curriculum and they have done what they told you they would do, they went through it and they let it. Now they're done. Now they're ready for the next thing. And when it goes, starts going down, 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 the church is like, okay, we got to figure something out. Everybody says they need what's next. And so then we find the next thing and we bring it in. Okay, now we do this. And we have the same cycle. And what's really going on is we haven't taken the time to build a foundation. And so it looks like we've, we're making progress until it falls in on itself. And it can look like that for three years, five years, perhaps even more. And then it's really demoralizing when it falls in. What have we been doing? See, one of the things that God has put on our hearts is that we need to figure out how to build a foundation that will support the work of disciple-making in the local church. And we looked in the scriptures, how does this happen? And we saw Jesus with his team. And we saw Paul with his team as they went into Thessalonica. And it wasn't just one individual. And it wasn't just a thing that they were doing. They were seeking to become something. And they became something first, and then they helped others to become that thing. That's why we're talking about this. If we're going to make disciple makers in the church, we need a core team. So what we've learned both as NCM and what Reveal has learned, if you've heard the Reveal survey, it's been in churches for nearly 20 years now, is that there's a core team that makes the heart difference, right? So if we look over here, this is one of the key slides out of Reveal that all these things on the side is what the Reveal survey measures, and it still measures it. And there's our important things. But I, as I'm taking a church through Reveal, I ask them, what makes the difference in churches that figure this out and those that don't? 
And they will start talking to me about these things on the outside and how important those things on the outside are. And those things are tremendously important. Nobody's denying that. But there's nothing that, that we haven't known about those things. We were talking about these things in the 90s for churches. And yet the church has continued to decline in America. The difference that Reveal has found makes a difference between churches that are thriving, spiritually speaking, that are making disciples who make disciples, is they have a team of core leaders in their church. Now, when we say a team, we're not talking about a staff team. Those staff can be on that team and should be represented. We're talking about a team that is made up of staff people, maybe some leader types, but also everyday folks. Because if you miss out on the everyday folks, you're trying to just do top-down, and everybody's looking at you guys up there and are like, yeah, that'd be great. You guys are awesome. I could never do that. And so if we don't get regular people engaged and on board and practicing it and living it, then it will never spread in the church. Now, we as NCM, a team of 120 people across the country, working with people like yourselves, pastors and church leaders, walking alongside them, we found the same thing. We found that if you want to in, engage a church and build a culture of disciple making, you cannot do it without a core team of disciple makers. Can't do it. It doesn't matter how much the pastor talks about it, models it, champions it, we'll have the sort of progression that I just laid out for you guys. The next slide, Dave, with the three circles. So that's our process is this. So we talk about the leadership core and that book that you're going to get for free it lays out how do you do that first circle. And to my knowledge, it's the only book out there that talks about building a core team. A lot of other disciple-making books are talking about the whole process, which is really helpful. But you can understand the whole process, but if you can't execute this first step, the whole process isn't going to take you where you want to go. Okay, one of the things that I really believe is that all of us are smarter than any one of us. Believe that? All of us are smarter than any one of us in this room. And so what we want to do is engage you guys with one another, and then we want to hear from you too. Okay, so there's one other point I need to make, and then I'm going to launch you into some table conversations. And then towards the end of our time together today, we're going to have time for Q&A. And we do that at the end of all of our workshops so that we can learn from one another. Because I know in this room there are a lot of people that know a lot of things I don't. And we need to hear and learn from one another too. Here's the other point I need to make. When I talk about a core team, core is an acronym. I already explained it. Common vision, owned individually, relationally resilient, endure to the end. That's what our workshops are focused on. That's what the book is built around that you're going to get. Core is an acronym. But team is just as important as that word core. And what we have learned is most churches don't understand that word. When, when we talk about team with churches, most churches nod their heads and then they run groups. A core group will not get us where we want to go. A core team will. Okay, so one of the questions that you're going to be launched into is what's the difference? So I'm not going to steal the thunder by giving you what I think the difference is. But there is a huge difference between a team and a group. And I would suggest to you that most churches and most church members know how to be in groups really well. 
but lack understanding about what it means to be on a team and how to function and how to present themselves on a team. And most church leaders are used to leading groups and thus lead a team the way that they would lead a group and again, fall back to games they've played before as I walk alongside pastors helping them building these, these core teams. I have to pull them back over and over and over again. I say, well, are you guys a team yet? I don't know. And even in their language as they're talking about it, they'll use group language with me. And I'm real annoying with that because my antenna's up on it. And so they're talking about, oh, well, our group did this, our group did that. I was like, oh, you still have a group, huh? Oh, I mean team, I mean team. But it comes out in our language because it's so deep in who we are. All right, you're going to have 10 minutes um, at your tables. Here are your questions. They're going to come up here. What's the difference between a team and a group? And what are the different reasons that someone might say yes to being a part of a core team? So at the beginning, we talked about the different reasons pastors say yes to discipleship and disciple making. But you know, your everyday folks are going to say yes to this sort of thing for different reasons. And that impacts the process, too. So just the way that a pastor enters the process makes a difference in the way that they engage the process. The way that your people and the reasons that they are stepping in is going to make a difference in the way that they're going to engage the whole thing as well. Does that make sense? So these are the two questions. You might also have some questions rattling around after listening to me ramble for however long I've been doing that. Um, write those down right now so you don't lose them. And we're gonna have some Q&A time here at the end. But 10 minutes on these questions and I'll bring us back together. All right, let's come back together. So one thing I realized that I didn't unpack well enough for you guys is the CORE, right? what that acronym is. Okay, so the C stands for Common Vision. Okay, when we talk about a team, um, these are things that we believe a team should have if it's going to be successful. And then we're going to hear the differences that you guys came up with at your table. Uh, but the first one is common vision, right? That we know we're, we're after the same thing, right? We're here for the same reason. There's clarity on that, common vision. The O is owned individually. So to a person, as you look around at your team, you know they are owning the mission, they're not there for another reason that you guys just thought of and that we'll hear about in a second. That they're there for the same reason that you're there. The R is relationally resilient. So a lot of times conflict comes up or we're just annoyed by that person that's on the team and we don't know how to handle that. And so we don't love them well or we choose to just kind of ignore them. That's not what Jesus would have us do. So how do we do that collectively well as a team? Right, that's what it means to be relationally resilient, that we can have hard discussions, whether it's about theology or whether it's about relating to one another or uh, character issues that somebody might have. We, how do we address those in a way that's loving and honoring of who God is and still move forward together as a team? The E is endures to the end. And so one thing we realize is that teams get tired because it's a long road. Uh, in developing a disciple-making culture. And so what do we do with that and how do we help teams endure to get to that vision that they've had at the beginning? So uh, in the book that if you go get it at the table after this, there's a chapter on each of those. Um, but also our next workshops, like tomorrow's first workshop is on owned individually. The following workshop is on relationally resilient. The last workshop that we're gonna offer is on endures to the end. Okay, hopefully that's more clear. Um, let me hear from you guys. We're just going to shout it out and I'll bring the mic as I'm able, but 
Um, what's the difference between a group and a team? What did you guys discover? Team has defined roles. Absolutely. A team has a defined win. Yeah. There's a common goal that we're pushing towards together. It's not you got one, I got a different one. No, if we're team, we got the same thing that we're trying for. What else? Members of the team have their own role within the team or their own way that they're contributing to that common goal or vision. Absolutely. What else? Action-oriented, making progress. So there's measurables for progress. We don't just talk and don't get anywhere towards our goal or the thing that we're trying to do. And there's a collective thing, right? A team moves towards a collective thing, not individual wins. Right? We're moving collectively towards something. What else? Yeah. We said there's more accountability for each person because otherwise you're letting the whole group down if you're not doing it. Yes, this is super. There's more accountability for the individual members because you're letting each other down if you're not fulfilling your role on the team. I see this all the time in churches that are developing core teams. There's a common vision. It's stated clearly. The people are opting in in, in awareness of that and agreement to it. And then a few, min- few months down the line, somebody doesn't show up. And they don't show up because Aunt Mabel's in town for two weeks and they decide to go to dinner that night. Well, I'm, gra- I'm glad Aunt Mabel's in town. I'm glad you want to have dinner with her. But you got two weeks. So you have to do it in the hour and a half that you're supposed to be at this team meeting. But because team isn't practiced well in churches, they think of it as a group. So they don't mind if they miss one meeting. But if you were on a baseball team and you're the second baseman, Aunt Mabel's in town, you're not going to miss your game that night. You're just not because you would know you're letting your team down. And so that's part of the mindset. The other thing that happens a lot is, let's say, um, Dan, Aunt Mabel's nephew, um, didn't show up. And then the next time I happened to be at that meeting, and Dan says, yeah, I wasn't here last time. And I say, okay, Dan, no problem. Dan, tell me, which of your team members loved you enough to catch you up on what you missed? That's an awkward question. They all feel real awkward when I ask that question. But it's awkward because nobody even thought of it. But if we're a team, we care about one another. And the way that we're going to engage each other is going to be different, right? Because groups do things differently. If I'm in a group, I'm there for my reason. I'm there as a consumer. And I'm not worried about whether your reason's the same as my reason or not. I'm going to be there for me. And if I feel like it's okay for me to miss, I don't even consider the rest of the people around me. Other differences, team and group. Tables we haven't heard from yet. Yeah. I said teams actually are playing the game. Groups just talk about the game. Oh, I love that. Teams actually are playing the game. Groups are just talking about it. I love that. Yeah, they're doing something about it. So again, this is huge, right? And when we're talking about a core team, we're talking about a team that's going to lead culture change in your church. Everybody that engages in disciple-making in your church isn't going to be on the core team. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a core team of people who are going to lead culture change in the church. They will become owners of the vision. So it's no longer just the pastors and staff trying to pull people into this. It is people across section of your church that are just as passionate about it as you are 
who are doing it just like you are and are spreading it just like you wish there were lots of people doing that. And it's amazing how fast it will spread when we have a cross section doing that, not just the top doing it or not just the bottom doing it, which we often will have one or the other. But when we get both going, now we're going to find some, some real momentum that changes things. All right, second question. What are different reasons someone might say yes to being a part of the core team as members of it? What did you guys discover? Yeah, absolutely. It's a privilege. The pastor has asked me personally to be a part of this. I can't say no to the pastor. What a privilege. For real. A lot of church members will, if the pastor is asking, they will say yes, if, if at all possible. So some are doing it just to honor the pastor. What else? Ego. Ego. Yeah. They might, they might want to have a role. They might want to see themselves as a leader and for everybody else to see. I'm a leader here. Yeah. What else? They believe in the vision. Yeah, a positive one. Yeah, so they're important, so they believe in the vision. But you know what happens too sometimes? Is people believe in the vision, they'll say yes to being a part of this team, but they don't believe that they can do it. And so they want to be a part of the team to support what is happening in the church. But when you ask them to start doing it, then we have an obstacle. And it's not insurmountable, right? And then there's obviously the more positives that believe in the vision and are ready to start acting on it. What else? They believe they can contribute. Oh, yeah. I hear this all the time from everyday church people that get pulled into a core team. A lot of them say things like this that have been, uh, I think of one woman who was the wife of a pastor for 30 years. And after being a part of a core team and actually discipling people one-on-one, one-on-two, she said, you know, Justin, for years I've always thought there was more I could do, but I just never knew what. And now I know. Like, wow, that's powerful. And there's a lot of those people in every church, I believe. What else? Any other ideas? Other reasons? Some just want to grow. I think this would be a great opportunity for me to grow in my faith. And I'm always looking for those things. There's other people that just want to learn more about the Bible. And this would be a great opportunity. And so those things are all true. But one of the things I draw out in the book is that even though they might have great reasons for being there, if they're different reasons, expect different obstacles at different points in the process with those team members. Because what you're trying to do is get them to own the vision individually, which means acting on it individually. You see, a lot of times pastors will look at the people and they'll say, you're the ones that need to be making disciples. You're out there amongst the lost. And then the people will look at the pastor and say, you're the one that's supposed to be making a disciple. You're the one with all the training. And we get nowhere, right? And so we have to get through those obstacles for a core team to really make a difference. Okay, we have seven minutes left. What are questions that have come up in you or about the things that you've talked about at your table or about things that I've shared that you want to ask? So you have, you want to start a core team, but the church, very unfamiliar as a whole, discipleship, except in theory. Yeah. So how do you begin that very first foundation? Yeah, great question. So her question is, if you want to begin a core team, but the greater church is unfamiliar and not on that page with you yet, what do you do and how do you do it? Can you bring the three circles up again? So um, to change the church culture, we need the lead pastor. 
We need the lead pastor or lead communicator is another way to say that. So even though, let's say the lead pastor, lead communicator is not on disciple making page, there's still something you can do that will powerfully impact the church. And that thing that you can do is begin to make disciples where you are in the church. Okay, so if you're in a, leading a women's ministry or a men's ministry, or maybe you're not leading any formal ministry in the church, but you have a heart for disciple making, make disciples of people in the church. If you're the, in charge of a women's ministry, make disciples in the women's ministry. Talk to the pastor. What is your vision for disciple making here? If they're not on the side main page, a lot of times they don't have a vision or can't articulate it. And you say, pastor, is it okay if here amongst the women or the men, I just start investing in them and helping them grow in their maturity and then help them get out amongst the lost so they can share their faith with others? They'll be like, yeah, that's great. Do it. And you do your thing. And after a while, after there's some fruit that they can see, then they will start to notice what you've done. And they will come to you and ask questions. Uh, and I've even had the experience with a couple guys that I've discipled, given this advice to. They've discipled in, in a church like that, just on their own. They weren't leading a ministry in the church. The pastor notices and comes to that person who was younger than him. John, I notice what you've been doing here, and it's different. And I misread you at first, because I thought you were just interested in being a leader or whatever. But I misread you, and I realized I need to be discipled by you. Would you disciple me? That's not common, but it was amazing, right? So that's the event. You can start where you are. And if you are in charge of a ministry within the church, you can still take this core team idea and implement it into that ministry within the church. So you could have a core team within the women's ministry even. Okay, great question. Other questions? Yeah. Justin, I want to know how do you, when you develop a core team, and I've seen this many years of the failures of the church, yeah. is that you put people in positions that are not spiritually equipped for the position and the role. Because part of disciple making is helping somebody to develop and discover their spiritual gift. How does this play out in the teaching of navigators? How, what's the process to help as a disciple maker to develop? people that you're discipling, what's the role for the discovery, the spiritual gift? So they're in position to play the role for the court in the court. Yeah, good. Because you don't want a quarterback, play quarterback. Yep. So how do you get them, I'm going to summarize your question, how do you get people in the core team in roles that really enhance or live out their spiritual gifting? Right? Great question. Um, so part of this goes back to being a team. If we are a team, we should know one another. I was with a team, well, they're a group right now, uh, people becoming a team um, three weeks ago. And I asked them, uh, the pastor and I were struggling with the team group thing, and they should have been further, but they're not, all that stuff. So we gave them a survey that they took uh, orally. Uh, write down the number of people on your team that you know their spouse's name. Write down the number of people on your team that you prayed for in the past week. Write down the number of people on this team that you have prayed with or done something with outside of a church function. They did not do well on this test, but what I helped them to see with those questions is they don't know each other. And I said to them, if you think that this team is going to influence this church culture the way you're relating to one another, it will never happen. 
Because the only culture you have to offer the broader church culture is the culture that you have on this core team. And you have a culture on this core team right now where you don't even love each other. But Jesus says to love one another and you aren't doing it. And if you can't love each other on this team, what makes you think that anyone in this broader church culture is going to get what you're talking about when you talk to them about disciple making? So to go back to that question, if we want to figure out how to, to enhance and to take advantage of the people on the team uh, in such a way that brings out their spiritual giftings, we have to know who they are and the way that God has designed them. And how do you do that? You got to spend time together. You actually have to care about each other. And I said to these, this group, I said, you know, it's actually like I'm trying to ask you to be friends with the people on this team. Just wrap your minds around that for a moment. I want you to be friends. And there were 12 of them on this team. And I said, I'm not asking you to be best friends with all 12 people, but you gotta know each other and you should be good friends with at least a couple of them. So if, we don't, if we're not practicing the relational part of disciple making well in our team setting, then we never get to that. But we get to it through the relationship. It's time for one more question. Yeah. Great question. If you're part of a core team and this is the core team for the disciple making at your church, what is the win for your team? There are two wins initially and they're very clear and they're forgotten over and over and over again. The first win is every team member is discipling someone or a couple someones. Every team member. So I am trying as the pastor, you are trying to make the team members, disciple makers. Normally when they come into the team, they have some maturity, they have some excitement, but they're not yet disciple makers. By the way, if you're not a disciple maker, you cannot lead a team into becoming disciple makers. It's not realistic. Uh, the second win of a team is that you become a team. Simple, right? But really hard. Simple, but really hard because of the way we as Americans engage this sort of stuff. We're pushing upstream on a lot of what the culture teaches us. Yeah, the second one is the team becomes a team. They're no longer a group and you know they're a team because of the relationships that they have, the conversations, the way they're engaging outside of your team meeting, and the way you're hearing about the team from people who are not on the team in your church. You don't have to go looking. Other people will come talk to you and say, hey, something's happened to, you know, Bob over here. I've known him for 20 years and something's different. I, he told me he's on this team. What's that about? Well, let me tell you, it's disciple making. You want to be a part? We'd love to have you. Wow. That was awesome stuff from Justin. I mean, he was calling some people out there at the beginning. That was, that was really eye-opening to me, hearing him talking about the difference between teams and groups and explaining why we see failure as we're making disciples sometimes, because we have the wrong mentality, we have the wrong definitions, and we haven't laid a really great foundation before we started down this journey of making disciples. Really helpful stuff. We've got more from Justin and the Navigators team, so make sure to click the subscribe button to this channel so that you know when I release more track sessions and more episodes. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya.